So what I want to do tonight is um, try and make sure that we are holding cheshbon in the sugya. Um, right, holding cheshbon, I think, is a term probably that you're all familiar with. Uh, it's, it's like the hard part, the thing that used to make Gemara like math, and then right, we all became briskers and forgot how to do it. Uh, I get, you know, tell you, you know, autobiographically, this is like one of the things that I watched my capacity for cheshbon atrophy while I was in YU as, uh, as I became more of a brisker. And then I had to consciously rebuild it. I was um, blessed that uh, Rabbi Eliyahu Baruch Shulman um, first gave shir here in Boston for summer, and I came. And then uh, at that stage, no longer true, but at that stage, everyone was a brisker and he wasn't, so I was the only one in yeshiva you could find to learn with. <laughs> so I had a charisma with him in Shesh And uh, that, was, that was sort of good at building up the muscles, but um, uh, I ne- I'm never, never back to the stage I was in high school, uh, when that was the skill. Um, okay, so I want to do that, and I want to try and connect that to some conceptual things, uh, which are ready, you know, which uh, I guess is what I'm stronger at now, anyway. <laughs> so, it's, uh, so it's no, yeah, but I want to, but I think that as we keep on progressing into the sugya, that the goal is going to be to try and work everything through the chesbon, and so I think it's useful for um, for you, for me, for all of us to try to. Um, Try to set up ways in our head that map the that map the complexities of the cheshbon. Uh, right? I, I don't know if you, you know, some people can just do it, and I can't do it. At least I certainly can't do it anymore. So uh, I think like setting up iterative processes and mnemonics, uh, with, right, the way you memorize things is a useful thing. So you can go back in your head. Uh, I find like for philosophic issues, poetry is very useful uh, as a way of thinking about it. Okay, so I gave you on the sheet. Um, is two iterations. The first is just giving you the names of all the positions that are in play, and then the second iteration is is, right, is giving you the uh, associated language that goes with the shitot. And then, right, if, if we're going to go down the sheet, I'm going to try to um, try and, and play some of the interactions out. Right. So the first stage is just to keep the names in your head, then to keep the names in your head and associate them with specific things, which will make it complicated over time because some of those things, right, some of those things mean multiple things. And then to try and begin mapping some of the connections among them, and then to try um, and then to try to uh, to move from the connections. Um, do you have last week's? Go with you. I do not. But I think last week. Is this the right one? Mm. Is that the right one? I will find you. Um. Here we are. Okay. Um. This is. Let's take it separate this is going to take us Where was I? <laughs> so right, so the mnemonic right, so is, is a way of trying to hold all the information in your head. And, as we, and, as, and then as, as it gets more complex, hopefully if you held the mnemonic in your head, first page and then the other five pages are the same as last week, but the first page will be held forget, separately. I always forget my mnemonic. Okay. Um, okay. So we're, right, so we're going to try and build ways of holding a more and more complicated sugya in our head, but we're also going to try and do it not purely mechanically, but to try and build the conceptual models and show how the conceptual models emerge out of the cheshbon, which I think is what Rechaim Salvage originally did. Uh, I think, I like to say, I think one of the most amazing things about the Chedusha Ben Chaim Levi Al-Rambam is that, and I might have been wrong in the way, in, in, I went through the first third of the Sefer once, and I only found one error in Cheshbon, which might be, I was wrong, right, because the record is pretty impressive. <laughs> and that's like, you know, with, with the Shem Shmeitzah, 
uh, which is the great cheshbon, I like to say, is like, when somebody juggles 11 balls in the air, like, they're still an amazing thing if three of them are on the floor. And the cheshbonsa, sometimes there are three on the floor. But 11, 11 balls is a lot of balls to juggle in the air. Uh, but in the Chushman of Chaim Halevi, again, my humble opinion, you know, when I went through the first third of the Sefer, I only found one one place where I couldn't, it wasn't obvious that all the balls were properly in the air. Mm. Uh, right? So it's really very cool. So we're going to try and go back to building that where we can keep the Chushman in our heads and nonetheless um, uh, build a conceptual model. And if we can really, like, you know, go for the, the full thing, if we can do the Chushman, we can do the we can do the Chakira, and we can also do the Psak, and figure out how it plays out in that would be an incredible thing. Okay, so here are the names we have. We have in the Yerushalmi, uh, which, I started, which I started us off with to some extent, right? We have the positions of Rav and Rav Yochanan. Okay, so that's one Machlok to keep your head, right? Rav and Rav Yochanan disagree. Um, then we have a position of Rav in the Bavli, and we pointed out that that may or may not be conceptually the equivalent of Rav, of Rav and, and in the Yerushalmi, right? So Rav and the Bavli should be a distinct person. We don't know how he relates to Rav and Rav Yochan and the Yerushalmi. Then we have uh, the Stam Mishnah, which is the, the, the middle of um, the Mishnayos in our Perak, which says, Kol uh, Okay, we don't know necessarily, right? We know that Rav in the, uh, that Rav in the Yerushalmi says that and we know that Rav Yochanan in the Yerushalmi says the Poel and the, the Poel can be Choserbo but not the Balabayas. But as Arya kept pointing out, we don't know the relationship between being able to be Choser and being Yodol Tachtona. Right? So it's not obvious that, 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 this, that this mission aligns with Rav or Rav Yochanan or is even on the same axis. Okay, number four. As we have a machlokus in Rav Yehuda Meir in Bavakama, uh, which is the question, right? That's the, right. That's the question about um, that's the question about um, whether what happens if you give wool to a craftsman, and the craftsman dyes the wool the wrong color. Right, where the position of uh, the position of Rabbi, uh, right? We saw we saw only tangentially, right? So the position of um, Rabbi Yehuda. Uh, was that the um, that the uh, the mat the owner of the original owner of the wool gets to choose what to right what to pay for uh, right does he right does it depends on what, whether if the workman has put in more more money than the than he then then he has value added then um, the, the owner of the wool can choose to pay the lesser right the, just for the value added. And if the value added is greater than the materials put in by the and, and were put in by the workmen, then the owner of the wool can choose to pay the to pay the amount invested and not the right. As basically say that the owner of the wool, it has the advantage when trying to figure out what to, right what to do if the worker has done the wrong thing. Whereas Ray Mayer said no, that the um, the worker is entitled to pay for the wool, and then keep the profits. That's just there's just a there's a standard thing where we say the the worker has essentially by misusing the property by the, misusing the the um, the original owner's wool the worker acquires that wool at fair market value and then the worker gets to keep whatever right, the added value even if it was great even uh, even if he made a bigger profit than for his than his from his materials right basically what we do is we transfer ownership from the capitalist to the to the to the to the to the, uh, to the labor. Okay, I remember this is one of my first speeches in shul ever. It was about um, 
a Swedish Swiss character named Till Elwes, uh, Till Eugenspiegel, who um, <laughs> was instructed to bake to right, to bake to bake rolls, but his but um, manages to get his master upset, and so the master tells him to bake monkey to bake monkeys and owls, and so he bakes all the rolls in the shape of monkeys and owls and gets thrown out of the bakery with all the rolls, right? Because he's transformed all the dough into rolls. Now, does he have to pay for them or not? Right, there's some ambiguity in the story. Then, of course, he makes a fortune selling the monkeys and owls because everybody wants rolls that are shaped like monkeys and owls. <laughs> right, that was my first my first public appearance in Mount Sinai. No, it was at a bar mitzvah, at a bar mitzvah <laughs> where uh, where um, yeah, but comparing comparing to Lalo Glass to Avram Avinu at Stone. <laughs> right, whether you know, they willing to accept the un- ill-gotten gains or ill-gotten gains or not. <laughs> Uh, my parents remember it's like my first speech because I was very, very short and I was standing behind one of these big serving trays. And apparently all you could see of me with my fingers drumming on the, <laughs> on the, uh, on the tray. Any case. So, right, so that's, that's about closing reading of the mayor, which the, um, which the Gemara then says that we identify um, the position of Rabbi Huda, who thinks that the uh, work that the the owner of the wool, the original owner of the wool gets to decide uh, which mode is more profitable for uh, right for him with the position call him a in our Mishnah and therefore the initial right so therefore every mayor is identified as opposing the Mishnah which is call now call is in a sentence in our Mishnah with call with call with call a Choserbo so the question is is that a single position and particularly in terms of the the formal rules of halachic engagement that we spoke about several weeks ago, do we treat them as a unit if the halacha follows one of those statements? Does halacha necessarily follow the other of those statements? Okay, right, so right, changing the work is not the same thing as reneging on a contract, or negging, whatever it is, um, but it could be that those issues are connected by the formal rules, because we can treat it as a single statement that right that there are two things which are, which right where you are supposed to end up with a negative in all circumstances, um, and kol hachuzer. Okay, then we have the uh, what I call the Tanakhama Rabbi Dosa, and and uh, Rabbi Dosa, which is in our Gemara in Bav Messiah. and the question there is what happens if workers quit halfway, and the um, and the price of labor has changed. So the Tanakhama Rabbi Dosa says that the workers can end up um, getting paid even more than they initially contracted, because the way we do it is we, right, is we fi- we we just ensure that the that the um, the capitalist pays the original amount for that he intended total for the work. So if the value of work has declined, then the workers get more for the half they've done because it will cost the owner less to finish it. Uh, but minimally, they get what they were contracted to get. Right, that's the position of the, the anonymous position. Rabidosa says no, that um, right, that actually, right, they, it's the other way around. Is that they can get paid less. They can't get paid more, but they can get paid less. If right, if labor has become more expensive, and by quitting, right, if they were paid the original price, they would make the they would make the um, the capitalist pay more. So the cap, right, we guard the capitalist's interest, and he can't pay more than he, than intended. Right, so it's easy to frame this dispute as the the anonymous first position in the Brita, Tanakama de Rabidosa, says that um, that the worker's hand is uppermost, although there's a limit, right, actually there isn't a limit on the uppermost hand in that way, 
Whereas Rabbi Dos himself says that the employer has the upper hand if the workers, if the workers, um, renege. So if you connect, if you connect that dispute in that way, and you say the dispute is whether the, right, is whether the, um, whether the workers have the upper hand or not, if they're the ones who back out, um, right? So that seems to be, so the position of Ridosa is against our anonymous Mishnah, which says whoever backs out has their hand underneath. And it's also against both, um, both Rav and Rabbi Yochanan in the Yerushalmi, if you think that saying that you have the ability to back out is the same as saying that you have the, right, that you, that you, have, that you have the advantage in the negotiations. Because right, they say they each say the poel yochol lachzorbo that the worker can back out, and Redosa says that when the worker backs out, they right they right uh, right the worker's hand underneath right so therefore, uh, right so therefore the, the position of Redosa seems to be uh, if we make the connection if we deny Arya which which is on the Gemara so denies. Wait, 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 you, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. So you said the position of Redosa I thought was that the was that the worker's hand if he backs out is is still al- no. No, the, the, the position of the, of the Rabbanan is that the worker's hand is the, the Rabbanan say the worker can even get more than originally contracted, right? Because because the, the Rabbanan say the workers the workers get right. What, the, what really we treat it like if we weren't thinking this way, if we were tra- thinking you know result oriented, the workers get the workers made a deal and they said, look, you're going to get you're going to get this work done in exchange for this amount of money. Now they quit halfway, so they get uh, they get the amount of money he was supposed to pay minus what he still has to pay. Which can be more than the original contract, right? That, that's the bit. Pardon? The price of I'm, I'm lost in the math. Okay, so you contracted me for ten hours of work at ten dollars an hour. Uh, you contracted me for work for work that should take ten hours at ten dollars an hour. You, okay, you contracted me to build a house. Right, and it should cost a hundred dollars. And now I have done half the work, okay. but meanwhile the price of labor has gone down, so it only costs you thirty dollars to finish the rest of it. Uh, only costs you thirty dollars. Okay, so, so the workers. Okay, so, so, I, so I I finish half the work. Right. And then I walk away. Right. You pay me how much? Seventy, according to the to the first position. Even though we contracted it at a hundred for the whole, and that should have been fifty for the half, but because we view it as whatever right, we we say, right, we say that I get that you get whatever, the worker gets paid, all right the the total amount minus what it what what they have left. What they have left over, they've only left over $30, $30 worth of work because the price of labor. Ah, okay, now I see what you're saying. And that's that's okay. the position of Rabbi Dosa. No, that's the position of the Rabbana. Rabbi okay. Dosa says the reverse. Okay. Rabbi Dosa says, oh, am, I, oh, am I backwards? Because yeah, I'm, I'm uh, just looking at the sheet, and the sheet says. Uh, I'm backwards. Am I backwards? Oh, yeah, I hate my this. <laughs> Let's so, think. Yes. There's, there are two positions, right? Let's start with that. Right? There's two positions. One position says that. That we value, we evaluate it by the worth of the work. They um, that remains. Yeah, that's right. So let's, let's take a look at let's take a look at the Gemara again. Okay, great. That's where we go through the Cheshvan because I get tangled and it makes things worse if we don't remember it. So let's take a look at the sheet on page three. Okay, so um, yeah, no, I, had, I had it right. I had it wrong on the sheet. Okay, right. So Amar Amar Shamid Lamet Masha Asu. We're on the top of page three. All right. So what the, Rabbana, the Gemara says, what about that? Kasavi Rabbanan, the rabbis hold, Yad Poel Al Ho'oyona, that the that the the worker's hand is above, um, even if he reneges, because he's allowed to be Chozerbo, right? That's how we make that connection explicitly. And therefore, 
if the work was originally worth six, right, 60 now, right, but we call it $100, right, and they've done half of it, and work has declined, they get more. Right, so, that's, I, 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 so we should reverse that thing on the sheet, right? That right, the Tanakama holds Yad Uman al Oyona, and Rebidosa holds Yad Uman al Tachtona. Thank you, right? Thank you, for, thank you for making the correction. Yes, then. Is the, is the principle thought to be on which the decision is made a mathematical principle or a moral principle or something combined or it's not, there's nothing mathematical about it. Like, math, the math is just tells tell you how you carry out the moral principle. All right, that's right. It is, we, we decide, is the workers, is, is the worker have the advantage or does the employer have the advantage? And then based on that, we, right, we have to figure out the math. But that's, the math doesn't drive anything. It could. What kind of math could drive things? So, in, in this example, yeah. um, I walk away Describe this in the way we started describing it a minute yeah. ago, where I've completed half the work. Right. Okay? And so I've now set this notion of half of something. And that almost linguistically says, well, I should get paid half the money. Okay. That's, yeah. that's sort of a, math, a mathematical linguistic way to think of it. Okay. Um, but another way to think of it is. Um, not in terms of half the work, but uh, just think of it as I, the worker, have left you, the capitalist, in the position of having to complete work, right. which is going to cost a certain amount. Right. Um, therefore, um, mathematically, that's what, what I've stuck you with. Right? I've stuck you with a $30. Okay. I, I don't know if you call that, you know, the, the question, I mean, uh, uh, it's the same. You're saying the same thing, right? I don't know why. I don't know why it's driven by math as opposed to view it, right? Is the question whether we view it as what I've left you, the cost I've left you, or review it as right what I've what I've done for you? And in each of those, we have a question at at what point relative to the doing of the work do we evaluate the value? Right? right? It's not it's not as challenging to figure out the formula, mm -hmm. which implements the principle, but it's not driven by math, right? It's driven by a prior quest by prior questions. More likely we manipulate the math to get to our results. Like we should, like, what should we do? At what stage should we evaluate it? Well, it depends whether the outcome benefits the employer or employee or benefits the employee. Mm -hmm. According to the Rabbanan, we benefit the, empo the employee. According to Rabidoso, we benefit the employer. So wh what about if you had, you the employer, had paid me $50 up front? Good question, right? What if I was already paid in advance, right? Does that change the terms? Right. Yes, that's and, a great that's a great question. And, and and if it does, and how does that interact with the moral thing? Absolutely. So that's part of like we spent you know we spent not sure you were with us when we, when, I, when we did this in the very beginning. Uh, we talked about the right, I don't think you were here yet. When I talked about what I did in the decibos, the relationship between the form the formal the formality of the law and the rationale. Yeah, I remember you talking right? about. Right, and whenever you have once when you always have to formalize the rationale. We don't have law. And once you formalize it, it always has counterproductive. It always has consequences that are against the rationale. Mm -hmm. So the question is, right? Some of the questions just are you a good policymaker? That you can anticipate all the ways in which it might not reach the rationale. Mm -hmm. And then what we're supposed to do if the circumstances have changed so that they right so that the things are different. So you're asking great questions, and then part of the challenge for us mopping up afterwards, right? As we look at now, right, a thousand thousand hundred years later, mm -hmm. and now there are so many adjustments. 
that you have to try and figure out what are we trying to do? Are we just trying to figure out, let's make, let's figure out consistent rules, or are we still trying to put the rationale back in? What I argue is we, we should be looking to put the rationale back in, but it's very hard to see the rationale often because, because, because so many formalities have been built in, and those formalities often develop counter tendencies. Somebody looks like, why are you, why do you think that's, that's why do you think that that's the rationale, right? There are so many cases where, where it yields the opposite result. That can't be the rationale anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you listen to uh, our alum, Ellie Fisher's um, podcast, down the, down the Rabbi Hole, um, so he argues, I think there's a truth to this, um, that the controversy about Rabbi Eliezer and Melamed's um, halacha in Israel, to some extent, is because Rabbi Melamed rules based on, on uh, first moral principles. Mm-hmm. And he tries, and that's his great his great accomplishment, is that he makes all of halacha make sense, mm-hmm. whereas that necessitates ignoring some of the data, mm-hmm. or right or right or right not following the normal rules of psaq because if you just follow the normal mechanical rules, then you won't end up with something that makes so much sense. All right, so Ellie argues further in what in his little I think last podcast, which is interesting, that people who write codes inevitably tend to work from principles. And people who write responsa inevitably tend to write, tend to think more uh, mechanically. It's an interesting claim. Uh, I could think of ways to counter that claim, mm-hmm. but it's a really interesting claim. Um, yeah, but that's you know that's part of what, like what I'm trying to do here is a certain amount of archaeology, and what I'm trying to do it right is by starting from unmediated Talmudic texts. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm trying to argue that I can show that there were certain moral principles at the outset and frame those principles as moral principles which are then formalized as opposed to relating them from the outset as formalizations. Mm-hmm. Right, that's what I'm trying to do, but you know, you'll see, you know, either you're convinced or not, but right, that's, that's, that's a, a very explicit, um, I'm trying to be very explicit and transparent about what right, that, I'm try- that I'm trying to accomplish that. Uh, and it's not the only way to think about it, right? So we'll get we'll get back to that. Um, to, I think in the, in the course of this year, I'll try and show you, all right, a way in which a way in which that can play out. Okay, so um, right, so we have again Ravan of Yochanan in the in the Yerushalmi, Rav in the Yerushalmi, um, and um, the, the machlokus between Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Meir and and Rabbi Huda in Bavakama. The Machlokas in Rabbi Dosa and the Rabbanon, which we were just talking about, which we should reverse the positions I have on the sheet, uh, right? Where the Tanakama right holds that the the worker comes first, and Rabbi Dosa holds the worker comes on the bottom, and then we have um, the opening mission of our chapter, which has all the right, which which says that if the that hasocher to umen v'hit uzeh zeh elohem zelze elataromet. Um, right, we, we just which might be talking about reneging on a contract or might not. That was the whole dispute at the very beginning of the, the sugya, right? And what would it mean if the outcome of of backing out against each other means that there's no legal there's no legal recourse? Who gets the advantage? We just right, we just have that text out there, which we began, which we began the whole chapter with. And then we have the text that we're talking about now, which is the the text which uh, our mission, which says kol achoser that the whoever whoever backs out should bear the penalty, which is an access completely different. Than the, the employee-employer axis, it's a fault axis. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when you point out, right, every one of these positions is going to have limits, right? That the right, no, right, that there there are going to be circumstances where you cannot penalize the employer. There are going to be right, there are going to be circumstances where you can't penalize the employee, and so, uh, every, right. So I, I want to just seed that, right? That it it doesn't saying that the outcome is that the hand of the employer is above that of the employee 
doesn't mean that by suing the employee wins. It means that as we balance the, 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 the rights and wrongs and values of the case, we have a bias. But it doesn't mesn't right, doesn't, doesn't have to mean we have an absolute bias. It is an obvious case, right? But you, know, you, don't, you don't all of a sudden say that the employer always, the employee always gets paid more than the original contract, right? Only if there's some, some reasonable economic argument. Okay, and then and then again, whatever whatever the formula you figure out is going to be is going to is going to be complicated, right? Whatever you whatever point you fix the evaluation of, let's say, right, whatever point you fix the evaluation of the value of labor, right? There's going to be a way in which that penalizes one um, each side depending on how on on, on the, the gap between the moment you fix and the moment that you pay. Right, and inflation is going to right inflation is going to shift things one way, right? And deflation is going to shift things the other way. There's just no way. There's no way to avoid any, right? To avoid um, making choices like that, and right. So, right, then we can come with all. The, right, if we have to work out as a legal system, we have to work out, right? Dan's question: What happens if you were paid in advance? What happens if you made an agreement that you're not going to be paid till next year? What happens if you're paid in stock? <laughs> right, all those things will, will, right, will evaluate. It could turn out that a law which is aimed to, right, to, to benefit the employee will end up losing because there was a deal that you get stock if you get paid now, and right, and not if you get paid then, and right, and the employee makes the wrong choice. Right. If you're in an era of, of massive hyperinflation, right, so all the all the incentives are going to be driven. There's, n there's no way you can set up a mechanical system in advance that will always yield the outcome that you're going for. Okay, and this is aside, depending on how you know on how fa how fancy you want to make the mechanics. Uh, right? Have I have I done the the Robert Alman shear here ever? At some point we should do it, right? Robert Alman, who's the Nobel Prize winning economist, has this amazing shot in a sugya. Uh, right, which which he, which he, it's one of the things like he won the he won the Nobel for I think was because he figured out that a particular position in the Gemara uh, would right that he was he, he was puzzled because the Gemara seemed to have a position that yielded results that should require supercomputers to achieve as an outcome, and so in order to make sense of it, he figured out no, there's actually a really easy way to do it. And that turned out to obviously solve a problem that people thought took supercomputers computer, the problem, right? So, and he figured it out through that sugya. Then you can go back and see, but did he, did he understand the sugya necessarily correctly or not? Because it's not the only solution that matches the data. In the uh, right, he made a certain assumption, right? You know, as he projected the data, and projecting that data gets you numbers that only makes sense. Right, that only makes sense if you're thinking about if you're thinking in, in this right, the formula for distributions at n player games, whatever it is. Uh, so that's very cool. That's right. You can see like a really fancy mathematical formula, uh, right? Yield, you know, yielding results, and you just follow the formula. You don't really care about right and wrong in that regard. Although why you thought of the formulas for reasons very much like this. Uh, okay, but we'll do that as a distraction at some point. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Obviously brilliant. Um, okay, so those are right. So those right. So those are, are our positions, right? So really, for us, um, we have. I said the second list I didn't have, I didn't put in Remeir and Abuda. So really there are 10, 10, 10 positions, right, we should have, right? Rav and the Yerushalmi, Rav Yochan and the Yerushalmi, Rav and the Bavli, Rabbi Huda Remeir, the Tanakhama Ridosa and Ridosa himself, the, the, right, the first line of the Mishnah and the middle line of the Mishnah. And the middle line of the Mishnah really breaks in two. There's Kolochoz Rebbe Yodol Taftona, Kolochoz We can break that line and Remeir and Rabbi Huda and Bavakama out and say, no, they're talking about Shinoi and we're talking about Chozer. And that works when you're talking conceptually, but when you're talking mechanics, you can't break them out because it's one statement and maybe that maybe they're connected. Okay, is that at all helpful?
Okay, for some of you. <laughs> uh, this is where I, I, yeah, I should probably bring the blackboard. Uh, Sometimes just right away. Uh, Avi who I think some some of you know, it is a Sharonite who was in my, it was in my um, my Gan class. So uh, at Gan, I used to, uh, so to some extent at my moment, I got, I got, I, Gan was much more you know much more liberty you know and pushing me to be creative. So I would just give give um, final assignment would be that the students had to depict the sugya. Uh, in all its complexity, in whatever medium they want. Um, so let's say one of my favorite was Annika Gompers did a, where I, I taught a whole shir on on, on aim, where the goal was like you know, realizing that there are always values to balance self care, right? Uh, self self care, parent care, the goal right, the goal of society preserving hierarchy, the goal of society not allowing hierarchy to be to be oppressive. All right, rewarding pe rewarding people for good behavior and punishing them for bad behavior, not allowing people to subjectively evaluate other people, all those values. So she produced an amazing thing, which was a scale. And then she produced like for all the value, all the value points she produced. Right, she produced things that were number num number of things that gave you different weights. And so when you present you had to when you were presented with a specific case, right, you were given this pile of values, and you would put one into one side. <laughs> And one on the other side, then you said, right, and then as you, as you, after you added up all the values, then you would see the skill. They'd tell, right, tell you what to do. Um, and Avi, uh, Avi, Avi Star um, took a pie plate and he put like, sort of like these, like all the positions we have, right, at different points. And then he would just, uh, he, he, drew, he ran strings from one to the other every time there was a connection being made. So you could see the complexity of the connection that's being, right, being, made, being made among them. You end up with this massive cat's cradle. Yeah. Um, thing you know, big right with, uh, right. So that, that was really, really cool ways. Like the minute you know, there were, uh, I loved getting. You know, I had this one marvelous abstract painting somebody, somebody gave with a key as to what all the colors meant and all, uh, and all, and all, and, and all the shapes meant. Uh, right, you could do, you know, all all sorts of really. It was a bridge that would collapse if you did it right. If you if you put the, if you put the stuff on the wrong way or if you built it properly, or all sorts of really amazing metaphors. Uh, you know, some people wrote really good essays. But uh, right, so you can think about what, what you, you know, what metaphor is useful for you, right, in trying to construct this kind of you know, this kind of palace in your head of um, of connections. So I don't have a blackboard too, or a whiteboard or a smartboard or any, any of those things to draw them for you. Okay, so let's start putting the connections together. We know that in the Bavli, Rav makes the statement halacha kirabidosa. Okay, that's a connection, right? That you have to. Right, you have to account for at least that there is a way which connects Rav and Rabbi Dosa. Okay, now we can say, okay, well, Rav and the Bavli is the one who makes the statement Poel Choser Bo that right that the that the employee is allowed to renege, um, and Rabbi Dosa is the one who says that the if the if the Paul reneges, their right they have the advantage, and that's how we go against Arya and say those two can right those two points are not disjoint; they're the same point. And what it means to say that the that the employee has the right to has the right to renege doesn't only mean that we don't force them to specific performance practically it means that we don't create economic disincentives and that's a very powerful thing right to say right because you could have a rule against specific performance and say okay there's a rule against specific performance but that doesn't change the economics of it right you made it you made a deal you're about right you're bound to deal with all the right to, all the economic consequences of your deal just that we're not going to do that by forcing you. We don't force you to do the work, right? So by connecting, but that connection is a very powerful thing. But the issue is how far is that going to go? 
Right? So we have a limit case that we know, right, which is called Davra Aved. What happens if you leave the work in such a situation where no matter what the employer does, they cannot avoid suffering a loss because the work is being left in the middle? It's not a question of the cost of labor. It's that they can't get workers there fast enough. So do we also say, well, I'm sorry, you've got to be able to walk away whenever you want. And the answer is no. Right? You, do bear the, you, do, you do bear the costs for walking away. Now, doesn't that make me your slave? If the basis of Rav's principle is right, that you can't be a slave to somebody else and therefore we can't have specific performance, and we say you can't have specific performance means we can't have economic disincentives for specific performance, so then this shouldn't be the case. Right? You should be able to walk out no matter what. Without So the answer is no. Right? That even though you would think that not being slaves is a supreme Jewish value, you can't use your right not to be a slave to inflict economic loss on somebody else deliberately. So in this case, is, is being required to bear a cost equivalent to slavery? So if we say, right, again, if we say that Rav's, Rav, that Rav's principle that the employee can back out of a contract is based on a, a derivation from the Bible, right, where the Torah says, Jews are slaves to me, God, not to each other, and that is connected to Rabbi Dosa, who says that you can't have an economic disincentive for pulling out in the middle, which is what Rabbi Dosa says, right, that, if the, right, that the, the costs of inflation or deflation are, are borne by the employer and not the employee. Mm -hmm. So then it, why don't we go take it all away and say all costs? And the answer is no. Right? It's not an absolute principle. Right. Uh, are you reversing Rabbi Dosa again? Doesn't he say you have to work off camera? Am I reversing it again? <laughs> I changed it again, right? Now, Ridosa says, I'll, yeah, I did it again. Yes, right. Sorry. I did it again. Thank you. Right? I say I lost the high school ability. Uh, right. But the, uh, right. Okay. Yeah, right. Uh, right. So, right. So now I'm saying it really works the other way, right? It's according, once we have yes and no. Okay. So we're going to get into the Khajma, right? Yes and no. Okay, um, so I won't confuse you further. I just wanted to draw that. If we make the connection, right, that Rav and Rabbi Dosa are connected that way, so then we have this thing. And even though we have an explicit statement that said, and Rav does hold like Rabbi Dosa, and then the Gemara says that's a contradiction, and the Gemara says, oh, but that's, he only holds like Rabbi Dosa by Uman and not by Pol, and that's how we get Rav and Rabbi Dosa lining up again. Um, okay. Um, Okay, so that's one line, right? Where Rav says halacha is like Rabbi Dosa. Let me figure out in which context to say that. Um, we have a Gemara which connects the Mishnah Kol right? But I, I should do it. It is right. I should say right. It's, it's that Rav holds halacha is like Rabbi Dosa, which seems like a contradiction because Rav says that he can back out, and Rabbi Dosa says that you, that the worker bears the penalties, and the Gemara says that is a contradiction. You have to reverse what Rav's, You have to reverse it to make Rav line up with the position that says that uh, the work that the employer bears the costs, even though that's not Rabbi Dosa's position. That was that was unfair to Dan. <laughs> uh, okay, so now uh, we also have a claim that the position very reasonably that we have a line in the Mishnah which says Kol Tachtona, which means whoever backs out pays the cost, and that is incompatible with any statement which says that the costs are borne by a party based on their fault. I say based on who they are, not on their fault. Right? The Mishnah says. Whoever backs out, that means that we don't favor the employer, we don't favor the employee, we have a neutral principle. Right? So, if, right, so any statement that says we favor the, empl the, the employee is against that. Any statement that says we favor the employer is against that. And, and if we took that as a general principle, we would say that as opposed to the position of the Tanakama of Rabbi Dosa, who says that the employer bears the cost, or Rabbi Dosa, who says the employee bears the cost, they should split the costs. 
But nobody says that. So it's not clear we're going to have a single mathematical principle either. Because there are times when we choose to split and times we don't, right? We, we're splitting as, where we see splitting as an option and times where we don't. But I raised at the very beginning of the year where I pointed out that our Gemara, in terms of uh, tricking each other, our Gemara assumes that one side or the other bears the cost and the Rambam just has a different principle, which is that they split it. Okay. Um, okay, then we talked about introducing the um, mecha right, mechanical things. But okay, let's go through the mechanics of, um, of one so right? So it, we're up to the paragraph beginning Kasha. Okay, so this is, this is the question you did ask, which I keep getting backwards because I'm, I'm in the wrong stage of the Cheshbon. The Gemara begins by saying, okay, we have Rav. Rav stands for the principle that employees can back out. We have Rabidosa. Rabidosa stands for the principle that, that the employee bears the costs. Rav says, Halacha follows Rabidosa. That's a contradiction. Okay, so the Gemara, right, so we have to figure, so the Gemara, we have to figure out, right, so it's important for us that the Gemara sees it as a contradiction. That's the point I was making. The Gemara thinks that you cannot both say the employee has the right to back out and that the employee bears the costs. But we have to resolve the contradiction because Rav seems to be saying that. So the Gemara's first attempt to resolve that is to say that Rav and Rabidosa are talking about different kinds of employees. Rav is talking about a poel, and um, Rabidosa is talking about a kablan, and Rav agrees that a kablan um, can bear the costs of backing out, even though a poel, right, he says it would be immoral to impose the cost of backing out on a poel. Rashi says the reason for that is that a kablan is not anybody else's slave, they are their own slave. And therefore, right, Rashi, right, Rashi says, we connect this, not to a mechanical principle, but to a moral principle. Right, Ra right, Rav has a moral principle, you can't be slaves, and that moral principle is irrelevant to kablanim. Why, Rav says, because kablanim are only slaves to themselves. So slaves to themselves is a fascinating category. What does that mean, that you're a slave to yourself? Right, so now we have at least two interesting categories. We have, we have, we have the one-way employer-employee relationship that is, that is right, that we say we have to really control that because that can turn into slavery. We have the a relationship which is employer-employee but is not seen as slavery at all. And we also talked about earlier, right, we have the question about partnerships, which are, which are formerly this, right, we worry about people being slaves to each other. Because right, there again, there's no hierarchy. Right, so Rav makes a statement here that, right, that sounds like, the way Rashi explains it, if there's no high, right, that something about the Kaban relationship is not a slavery relationship, and we have to figure out, like, how do, how do we understand that? Do we understand that, is that, and then the challenge is going to be that the easy way to formulate it is going to be the terms of the contractual relationship, right, because according to very simply, is saying that a Kaban, a Poel is paid per hour and a Kaban is paid per product. That's an easy, easy formulation. But it's pretty simple to bridge that, you know, like in Amazonian, Amazon terms, by just saying, I'm paying you per hour and you're fired unless you produce this much. Or vice versa, right? I'm paying you, I'm paying you, I'm paying you, I'm paying, I'm paying you per widget, right? But if you don't produce 100 widgets an hour, right, then you're fired. Is the, is the thought that the Kablan has a, an open market that he can sell? I don't know. I mean, haven't gotten that far yet. We could say that the access is not that at all, right? We could try and formalize it differently and say that the example, right? So if we look at the example that Ridosa is talking about, Ridosa talks about a case where X brings wool to the craftsman. 
right? So maybe it's telling about that formula, right? That formulation where the right where there's right one person owns the product and the other person owns right, the other person owns the labor. And then we evaluate it in terms of added val added value to the product and not in terms of what the labor per se is, right? Of paying you for your, right paying you for the labor, but right but that you're both that somehow we view the what we do is we view them in a sense of working on working together to add value to the product. And one person brings money, and one person brings right, brings and and raw materials, and one person brings skill, and then together we figure out how they split the added value. Right, that's a sort of Marxist view. Uh, right, which, <coughs> which focuses on that. I, I like to talk about Rakhine Hershenson. Uh, you know, has a, a while. Rakhine Hershenson was the rabbi of Hoboken and its environs in the in the uh, early twentieth. Uh, like the 19, 1920s and 30s. Uh, he was one of the most important rabbis in American Zionism, and really an international. Like he was a great halachic figure, this wild, wild thinker. So he has, a, uh, he has an essay, which he takes on the problem of labor and capital and decides that halacha has a perfect solution, which is that labor is entitled to one-third of the added value. <laughs> right, as opposed to capitalism that you get whatever right whatever you can take minus whatever 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 you have to pay the, empl the employees and right and Marxism which says all added value is from labor and capitalism is you know is a leech he says no it's one third I love the essay uh, absolutely amazing you can come with a number right uh, yeah really really wild okay so uh, right but we we could say that that's the that's the that's the key difference we could try and locate unique things. In the relationship called kablan in, in right in ancient times, so Ramsel, there was there was a standard relationship where the craftsmen would sell their tools to the employer for the duration of the right of the work, and we could try and locate in that kind of specific, in that kind of specific right, so some kind of specific relationship that way. Uh, we could try and view specific economic circumstances and say that in, in many times in history there have been craftsmen guilds. But the idea of a laborers' union is fairly modern. Right? So maybe craftsmen have the capacity to organize in certain economic circumstances that laborers didn't, and again don't really. On your conception of kablan, is there any notion of a time duration, or is it solely whenever you finish the job, the job you're done and you get paid? I don't know. Right, that's a fair question. Right, you know, do they not have factories right where people right where people are supposed to do that? You have to justify your right. What happens if Right, we can you can accomplish the same thing just by saying, look, to be a craftsman, you have to work in this factory, and you have to lease your office. So, however we set the rent, right, that will tell us how fast the craftsman has to work, because otherwise they can't pay the rent, even though nobody's imposing anything on you. Right, but if we, but if we, right, but if we if we charge you a thousand dollars a month rent for enough space to have a barber shop, then you can't give two hour right two hour barber right, two hour haircuts for right for ten dollars. Right? So there are all sorts of ways in which you can get to the same economic result, right? Even though the formal, right? So the question to some right, is how nimble is halakha going to be, responding to these, responding, responding to these things, right? I think that's a, uh, right, that I think is a challenging question. Then you get to Rav Herzog, the first um, Ashkenazi chief rabbi of Israel, who said, you know, that we have to acknowledge that we have let a lot of economic halakha fall into desuetude. And it's not productive to try to update it directly. We just need we need to legislate if we're going to take over a state, uh, right? So he starts off his his, his halakhic constitution for the state of Israel with a list of legislation. So that's a whole challenge, right? But you know, we still learn it the old way, right? That's a whole right. That's a whole question like you know, sh 
what is the value of learning laws if those laws are are really are really policy aims, and to accomplish those policy aims, we would have to legislate because the laws can't be updated that fast. And that's a great right, that's a great question. So it might say, well, the, re the reason to learn the laws is to recall the policy aims, but very very few people teach it that way, right? So that's a that's a real challenge. I wrote a, I wrote a um, a piece a couple of years ago, responding to a friend of mine uh, about. Um, how to apply halachot of lost objects in the modern in the modern day? All right, just the other question, like you left the twenty dollar bill in a cab. So he did, it, you know, by analogy, right? We have Gemara has Gemara has has cases you find lost money in a in a store. Well, the question is, where do you find the money? Do you find the money closer to the cash register, or further than the cash register, uh, right? And that right, and that creates different presumptions as to who the money belongs to. But the presumption generally is that if money is lost in a store, nobody knows who it belonged to. Now, first of all, I would, this whole presentation is anachronistic because a cash register is a machine and it's not the same thing as a cash box. And it might be that where the money goes is different than a cash register and a cash machine. You have to start dealing with the... But the biggest issue is your taxi cab, all taxi cabs have cameras now. Also, or even 20, 30 years ago, right, it would take enormous effort to, to relocate that cab driver. And therefore, you could plausibly say, right, because of big issue in lost objects, that as soon as somebody remembers that they lost their money in the cab, that they left their money in the cab, they're going to assume, A, um, and I have no way of proving it's mine and not the previous customers. B, I have no way of getting in touch with the cabbie. And C, why wouldn't the cabbie just take it for themselves? All that changes because now we have cameras and you have the cabbie's cell phone number. Right? So the attempt to apply the mechanical rules of money found in a lost Right, found 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 in a uh, in a in a in a store, to money left in a cab, is right just ignores many critical factors. Now I could try and say that actually it's the same law, and I just have to I, I just have to frame it in terms of principles that are obviously recognized. That you, right, have you given up hope, right? You know why on what basis do you give up hope? Or it could be that you know at some point the gap between reality and the law gets too great, and you have to legislate. Right, that's a fair question to ask, right, to ask about here. I don't know the answer to that yet. Right? I don't know how we're going to get to, uh, I don't know how, when, when we get to trying to figure out if we actually wanted to, let's say if I were teaching this in high school, right? So the goal would be produce a, right, on a specific issue, produce the, uh, right, pr produce the standard contract for, right, for the employer and the employee that accounts for all these issues so that, right, so that each side can do it. I don't know how we would, how we'd end up doing that, um, doing that here, right? And I haven't, we haven't even begun addressing questions like how many of these principles apply to corporations. Uh, right, which aren't people in the same way, right? Uh, right. So if you have moral obligations that are personally directed, do they don't, do they actually apply to corporations? Right. Which ones? Maybe only the ones that are generic and not the ones that apply specifically to Jews. Right? And, the, and the question we always have to address, right? Kilibin Israel Badim is not a human principle. It's a, right. It's a principle that applies to Jews. Uh, right. So do, do we automatically generalize it or not? Right? So I have. Um, so you probably all know, right, that there's an issue in the constitutional law of what, called, what we call different kinds of scrutiny that are paid different kinds of law, uh, right? So the question, right, so there's, we have protect, so constitutional, the constitutional law has developed this idea that there are certain kinds of distinctions, like race distinctions, that in, are supposed to be subject to what's called strict scrutiny. They have to be, right, you know, the, you have, there has to be a really, really good reason that this has to be done and it can't be done any other way before we allow any kind of racial classification to survive in halakha in constitutional law. So, and other things like, you know, distinctions between, I don't know, between short and tall people, we get, right, we pay much less attention to lefties and righties as it might have been a matter of controversy for 
uh, for a long time. Human beings and chimpanzees are still pretty strong, although it's right, the people are still trying to break that down now. Uh, right? So the question is, are there categories in halacha also? And this is a big issue. I have a strong bias towards, you know, I've said, like, I think that we should have pretty strict scrutiny about distinctions between Jews and non-Jews in, in halachic civil law. Uh, we should work on the premise that we're dealing with moral principles, and therefore, they're, and therefore they, apply, they apply humanly. And that, right, so I tend to paskin in accordance with the, the positions that, di that diminish the distinction between Jews and non-Jews. Other people have very different attitudes, right? and that creates, that, right, that, that creates a different kind of pressure on the law. Um, right? I, I tend to argue for strict scrutiny, especially if you're trying to construct a law for a pluralistic society. Uh, right, then you can't just cabin, and that's one of the things that Rav Herzog says. Look, if you're running a running a pluralistic society, running, if you're running a society, let's say, where I mean, as an easier example, right? So, halakhically, right, there are right. If you don't keep Shabbos, you're invalid as a witness. And we believe people who keep Shabbos over people who don't keep Shabbos, in, in their theory. If you're running a legal system for a state, seventy percent of the people are not Shomer Shabbos. That's not going right, to. That's just not a viable. That's just not a viable thing. Right? Why would the seventy percent allow that legal system to function? The only way you could do that is force. Right? So obviously you have to, right? You have to state in some way or another. Same way, right? If you have women fully involved in a society, you can't, right? You can't have women be involved as witnesses. Right? You can't run a commercial law that way. So all those things have to have to happen. Okay. Um, I give myself freedom because the because my the, what I had formerly in the share was so short. So of course, once again, we will not finish this All right. Um, okay, so I wanted to point out now. Um, all right, so there, 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 there was, there's a um, yeah. Let's 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 skip to where it says um, Gemara. You know what? Let's let's go back to the source sheet. And let's let's understand the sugya. Uh, well, so we're gonna go back to we're gonna go back to page three. This is really the most complicated sugya that we'll do right now in the Gemara. Okay, so we're gonna start at the line we just read. The line we've read so far is Amarav Halacha Kirabi Dosa. Right, so Rav says that the law follows Rabbi Dosa, and remember that generates a contradiction. The Gemara says, Umi Amar Rav Hachi, that's the first, um, that's, uh, you can see that there's an asterisk, right? It's, it's the last asterisk, I guess. Did Rav really say halachic Rabbi Dosa? Right, so how could Rav say the law follows Rabbi Dosa, who says the employees bear the cost? Right, we're on, on page three, right? Uh, right how, how can Rav say that the that, right, that halacha like Rabbi Dosa, the employee bears the cost. When Rav says that there's a, a principle which we think is derived from right from uh, Jews can't be slaves, um, that you were allowed to back out in 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 um, in mid uh, in mid in midterm. So the Gemara then says the chitema shanilan ben schirus, which Rashi says is schiryom. Shanilan Rabbi Dosa ben schirus, which is we call schiryom, which is timed employment. Lekablonus. Uh, which we talked about all the complications of the Kabbalists, right? So our first suggestion is that, right, as, as we said before, that maybe Rav's moral principle doesn't extend to Kabbalonim, right? Why, Rashi says, right? Because regarding, right, regarding timed employment, whatever, right, Schirus, Poel, whatever term you want to use for it right now, that moral principle applies that, you're, that we are God's slaves and not slaves to slaves. Of the Kabbalists, there's the line we saw, Right, you're only a slave to yourself, and Rabbi Dosa is talking about kablanut, kigikatane. Right, because if you actually look at the language of the Bryce and Rabbi Dosa appears, the opening language is kiblu kamaliksor. They accepted, they entered into a kablanut relationship of harvesting. 
Okay, now, tricky, because just because you use the word kibel doesn't mean it's talking about kablanut. Right? We saw that, you know, that we use the word poel to be numan, we use the word numan to be poel, we have to be very careful about linguistic claims. But Rashi makes a linguistic claim here, right? And he says, the Gemara's position that Rabbi Dosa, who says employees bear the cost, is talking about kablanim, is borne out by the language of his text. Right, so that's where we are right now in the sugya, is we say, you know, we're fine with Rav ruling Rabbi, like Rabbi Dosa, because Rav's principle um, of, against, of the ban on specific performance only applies to a skiryom, and Rabbi Dosa's principle that the employees bear the cost applies to a kablan. At which point the Gemara says, what? Um, Does Rabbi Dosa really say his principle only in the case of kablanut? That's impossible. Because we have a we have a bright there. Now this is going to be a very complicated proof, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to try to tell you the advance. We're going to say is, right? We're trying to prove that Ridosa doesn't say that Ridosa says that employees bear the costs if they're kablanim, but not if they are poli. So we're going to quote a brighta which says that um, which says that that um, employees bear the uh, employees don't bear the costs, and we're going to say. Right, we're going to say that that bright, we're have to, but we have to prove that that brisa really is the position of uh, of Rabbi Dosa. And having proven that that position is Rabbi Dosa, then we can raise the contradiction of Rabbi Dosa. So here we go. Okay. Hasoch. Um, um, okay. Let's see if I keep the chesed right. Okay. So, umi So right. So um, does Rabbi Dosa really make a distinction between? A sachir and a kablan on this issue. Ve'atanya we learned in Brayta, hasochre tapoel, somebody who, somebody, somebody who hires a worker. We're going to assume right now this is the sachir yom type of worker, not the kablan worker. Ve'lachatziyah yom shamasha meitlo meito shachazato chama, and the worker halfway through the day doesn't back out of the contract willingly. They back out of the contract under force majeure because they, 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 they become a mourner or because they have a heat stroke. Okay. So the so the brayta says im sachirhu notein lo scharo im kablanhu notein lo kablanuto so you pay him his work whatever he, whatever the originally contracted labor was okay that's the complicated position because it's not the position of either Bidosa or of the rabbis on the surface because it's, right, it sounds like a position that, that the original contract is binding regardless of inflation regard right nope right we're really splitting it okay but that's not the way the gemara is going to read it. The Gemara says, who is the author of this brayta? Money. If we say it's the Rabbanan who believe that the employer always bears, bears the cost, so then the outcome should be true even if the worker left willingly, that, they all, right, that they're guaranteed, right, the, the way the Gemara you're guaranteed at least the original contracted salary. So because the brayta says this is only true, um, if the right, if the if the worker left unwillingly, it can't be the rabbis because the rabbis should think this is true even willingly. So then we now read the brayta as saying that if the worker leaves willingly, then the worker bears the cost. So whose position, right? So whose position could that be that the worker bears the cost? It has to be Rabbi Dosa, because it can't be the rabbis because the rabbis say the worker right that the worker that the employer bears the cost. If it's Rabbi Dosa. So then that means Rabbi Dosa applies his principle the employee bears the cost even to polling and not just to Kablanim. So now we're back to our contradiction because if Rabbi Dosa says that employees, all kinds of employees bear the costs, and Rav says 
then at least Kolim are allowed to, to allowed to back out. So then Rav can't say the halacha follows Rabbi Yosef. Okay, so um, right, so we're right. So in the end, the Gemara is going to resolve this by saying, "That's fine." When Rav said halacha, so like Rabbi Yosef, he only said it in the case of he said it in the case of Kabbalim not Kolim. Rabbi Yosef said it about both, but Rav only said it about one case. That's the final solution. But in the interim, the Gemara gives a solution that interests me. Right, the Gemara says. Um, Amar of Nachmar Yitzchak b'davar ha'avud b'divrei ha'kol. So Nachmar Yitzchak uh, will be in the room. Nachmar Yitzchak, I assume there is a Mara collecting there? Um, I'm a guest. Ah, so uh, okay, it should I be a Mara collecting. Okay. I don't see anyone there, and then I heard you, so I So we're usually the cavalry, so we'll see how many other people. What's that? <laughs> we're usually the cavalry, we'll see how many other people show up. Okay. Um, okay, so, um, so Gamar says the following. Um, the solution to, right, the solution to our what it, what seemed to be a proof from this brayta that Rabbi, right that we said this brayta is Rabbi Dosa and, and, and that shows that Rabbi Dosa holds that employees bear the cost even in the case of Poland, is that this brayta is actually consensus because it's talking about a special case. Now, have to be careful not to reverse it. What's the, this brayta says that the um, employees don't bear the costs if they left involuntarily. And that he says, if you leave involuntarily, everyone agrees that employees don't bear the costs. Right? The only argument between Rabbi Dosa and the rabbis is if you leave voluntarily. But even Rabbi, right, even Rabbi Dosa agrees that all workers, right, that, all, that no, no workers bear the costs of involuntary um, in unavailability. Okay, so the question is, where does, why does everybody agree to that? Right, why, right, why, right, why should... If Rabbi Dosa's general principle is that, employee, that employees bear the cost of not completing the labor, so why would he agree, right? Uh, right? Why would right? Why would he agree that even in a case of davar aved, right? Even in a case where the where right? Sorry, 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 let's have the right, right. So the Gemara says that we're talking about a case. Everybody agrees where, where everybody agrees that you only that the employees only avoid the costs if they leave involuntarily. And what are the, but we're not just talking about the cost of their labor. We're talking about the damage suffered by the, empo- by, the, by the employer, right? That employees get their original wages if they are involuntarily incapacitated, even if thereby they cause great damage to the, empo- to the employer because they're leaving the work half done in a way that he can't get employees in time, right? So, that, so, so now we understand there's a limit to the position that employees bear the costs. Even in the most extreme case, where we thought it was most obvious that employees bear the costs, there's, right, there's a limit, which is, we don't we don't force the we don't force the employees to bear the costs of involuntary uh, unavailability. Now, what's the basis of that? Is that grounded in the principle that you can't be slaves? Right. So we don't force you to work. We we don't allow economic pressure on you to work when you have other things that you have a right to stop for. Or is it a different principle entirely? Okay, that's where I want to stop for uh, uh, stop for this week. Okay, thank you for coming out on this vacation week. Uh, And... uh